can't listen to myself. I listened to a piece of the story beat one, but I can't listen to it. All right, is this too high for you? Too low for you? Uh, there we go. Yeah, there you go. And my my uh, <laughs> my wife, my kids never listen to them either. Oh come She'll, on, really? I'm serious. Really? I said I'm doing a podcast. Oh, that's great. <laughs> you want to listen to it? Nah, that's okay. <laughs> so you're busy. I'm busy. You're so, busy. So last week, um, <laughs> I'm photographing. Say yes to the dress. Do you know what that is? I do. It's a show, and I, I have a bunch of women in my home, George. I right. know that show. <laughs> right, right, right. So the um, the host of it is this guy named Randy, who is really lovely and really funny uh-huh. and very hardworking and very focused and just awesome guy. Okay. Um, and he is he is gay. Okay. And that's kind of a, a part of the show. Uh, is he flamboyant? He's very, very, very well very, dressed. Very well dressed. Very flamboyant. Beautifully dressed. Very, yeah, yeah, very yeah. fit. I'm familiar and, with him. Yep. And yep. Um, yep. And we got forty women to play brides. <laughs> forty. Forty. We had forty, 40 brides. Some were okay. actual brides. Some we like fleshed it out because we we wanted them crowd surfing. Oh my surfing. gosh! Oh my gosh! And so we we forty. We, we get them all set. We're actually shooting in a theater in Montclair, New Jersey. Okay. And he gets up on there. I'm on this lift about 40 feet up. Or okay. I'm high above him. Okay. They're lifting him. We have some like stunt people so he won't fall. Like the whole thing's figured out and we're doing this. And when I'm shooting, I never really like have a script. I never, whatever comes to my head comes out my mouth. So I'm balancing over this thing with my camera. Randy's being held up. We can do about... 45 seconds at a time and then I have to put them down. Springsteen can do about a full song. It's amazing. And we use the picture of Springsteen as an example of what we wanted it right, to look like. Right, 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 There's right. that beautiful video that they did for um, Dream Baby Dream. Okay. That has him yeah. crowd surfing shot from yep. above. Yep. So Randy's up there and I, I, I tell the brides, I say, I want all the brides to be really wild and Randy, you play it straight. <laughs> There are like a hundred people in this room, all the production people, all the live action people, and they burst out laughing. Randy looks up at me, he goes, George, no one has ever told me to play it straight. I'm assuming not. <laughs> but anyhow, those pictures will be up in uh, Times Square over Christmas. In Times Square. In Times Square. Incredible. 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 <laughs> so just our chat off off air, uh, things have been incredibly busy for you since the moment you moved back home, huh? Right. I call Pittsburgh home. No, I mean, Pits- you've had met, you've had multiple homes, but right. But Pittsburgh really, really feels like home. I just feel like coming back here. This town has wrapped its arms around me and given me the most amazing hug and opportunity to give back in all kinds of ways that right. feel amazing. And right. I, I just love being here so much. And it's funny when you move to any place, it's a leap of faith. There are all these decisions that you make in life, there's a leap of faith. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna marry this woman and we're gonna be happy for the rest of my life. (laughs) That's a pretty big leap of faith Mm because who knows how you're gonna evolve. Hopefully you'll evolve together and and that feeling that you have, if it's this size when you get married becomes this size and Not not expanding in girth, (laughs) but expanding in feeling. And, uh, or where am I gonna live? I'm gonna live in Coriopolis. Mm-hmm. And I'm not only gonna live in Coriopolis, I'm gonna live on this block, and this is gonna be my neighbor. Those are big decisions, mm-hmm. but how could you make a decision that big? I'm gonna have a child. I'm gonna have a child it's and- a pretty big decision. All, yeah, that's a huge decision. <laughs> 
Because that changes everything. Uh-huh. But you can't, I don't think, sit down and say, okay, here are the reasons for having a child, and here are the reasons for not having a child. <laughs> the tea, and, tea account. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how's this going to work out? Like, that makes, that makes no sense. So everything is a leap of faith. Us moving back to Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. while some things made sense, it's just a gigantic leap of faith. When we told our, our kids last spring, they've grown up in Boulder, Colorado. Right. All their friends are in Boulder. That's what they know. Right. And we're, so this is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so Steffi, my wife and I had like planned this for a couple months. We don't want to tell them too soon before we're leaving because we don't want them to think about it too much. Right. And we don't want to tell them too close to when we're leaving because you know, they should have a little chance to say goodbye and mm-hmm. to kind of reconcile mm-hmm. the move. Sure. So we plan it and we make this big breakfast and we and we sit down and we say, we have something to tell you. And I've been planning this talk for like weeks. Okay. Dreading it, but planning sure. it. Sure. I burst out into tears, just sobbing. And my kids look like, oh no, are you sick? Are you guys breaking up? You know, what's Got going it. on here? Got it. And Steph, who's held it together, said, no, we're good. Everyone's healthy, but we're moving to Pittsburgh. <laughs> but we're moving yeah. to Pittsburgh. And the kids, <laughs> and, and, and Jackson, who's the one talking at this right. point, the uh, 12-year-old, or a 12-year-old, looks at us and goes, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're what? Why? <laughs> And the family house. It's the pirates there. Right. <laughs> That's Jackson. Right, right. right. <laughs> and he was not happy about that. Jackson's Instagram handle is Rock's uh, Fan Forever. There you go. Yeah. And I get it. And he is um and he's just like, why are we doing that? <laughs> what he doesn't remember is a couple months before that. A year, a year and a half ago, my mom passed away. She had lived in this house for 86 years. So I, it's the house that, I, that mm-hmm. she grew up in, right. the house that I grew up in. And and the house went on the market and then had to come off the market because there was this weird little mm-hmm. thing. And over New Year's, the boys said, well, we're living in Boulder at this point. They said, well, we should go to Pittsburgh because we always go to Pittsburgh. And I said, well, the house has been like staged to sell and it's empty and my mom's not around anymore. It makes no sense to go to Pittsburgh. And they go, what are you talking about? We always go to Pittsburgh. So we come to Pittsburgh for okay, New Year's. Okay. And it's one of those cold, nasty, raw nights. We and, have them here. Yes. <laughs> it's just it's just ugly. Mm-hmm. And we had missed the fall cleanup, and it's all covered with leaves. And it's just like, okay. this is this is pretty depressing. And my mom's not there. Right. And we go in the house, right. and we turn on the lights. And then we turn up the heat. And we start making pancakes. And the boys goes... The boys go, see, it feels like home. There you go. And there's where the switch flipped. So Really? Yeah, exactly at that moment. Okay. Because we hadn't thought about okay. moving there. Okay. And then we like, oh, this is where we're supposed to be. And four months later, we're telling them in Boulder that we're moving. <laughs> they didn't realize that they had facilitated wow. that so much. Wow. And And then we're here. When you were here last time, you mentioned that you were unsure whether you would open another studio and then if if so how soon but you have a new place on Penn Avenue I know it I know I have a storefront for the first time yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do in this storefront I can have a gallery uh-huh. I can have a little shooting space right. I can just use it as an office the rents right. in Pittsburgh are very reasonable right um, and it might be all of the above. But I have this storefront on Penn Avenue, which is just at the edge of the Arts District. Mm-hmm. And there are all these amazing people. There are nonprofits. There's a glass. People are blowing glass. There's a really good restaurant across the street, Spork. Spork. And, right. uh, 
and it's just the most exciting thing. And I go. You're there. all in. Are you in? Every, you're completely in. And but you're... I don't have that much stuff anymore. You, really? You know, at this stage of being a photographer, you can rent all the big stuff you need. You don't have to have it. Got it. So you have your cameras, and then you you just rent stuff. I have my printer because I'm into making prints now, mm-hmm. and we're making a bunch of prints. Mm-hmm. We just had our first big print sale at Weiss House last Let's talk week. Talk about that a little bit. Very, that was very successful. Very packed. Very packed. So I built this box. I made this box of prints. I had never printed my work until this last year. Right. Did I tell this story? No. So I kept all of my archives on the north side of Pittsburgh for all these years. Okay. And I would just fill it and fill it till it got from just the 90s or 85 drawers of film. Wow. And each drawer is folder after folder after folder. Each one's another assignment. Okay. And the more I filled it up, the less I could deal with it because I don't know what makes a George Lang picture, which is crazy, but the truth. Wait, repeat that for me again? I never knew what made a George Lang picture. I had so much fun taking pictures. Right. I was earning a living taking pictures. Every day was a new adventure. But if I had to step back and say, what's the connective tissue? How do these all relate to each other? I never figured that out. Okay. So I would go to visit these pictures and it was like, I should be, I should be friends with these pictures. <laughs> They're yours. <laughs> They're mine. But, but I really didn't feel that. I, I didn't feel like, I, I didn't know how that would work. Okay. Which sounds ridiculous now because I've been taking pictures my entire life sure. every day. Right. But I never, I, I enjoyed taking pictures so much and, it, and I'm, I'm having so much fun that, it, that I didn't know how to make it into an art object, how to create a book. Like it never, the pictures on their own never felt good enough while the experience did, okay. but I didn't know how to put that together. So when my mom was sick in this house that I'm now living in, I came back to Pittsburgh for four months and I realized being back in that house after all those years of not living there, I had visited that there was this feeling I had growing up of joy. Okay. Mostly joy. But it was this feeling, it was a very specific feeling, and then I realized I've gone out my entire adult life trying to recreate that feeling with strangers. Okay. And so all the people I photographed, I was trying to get at that feeling. Oftentimes, I could get there in the first five minutes. And then I spent the rest of the shooting Uh doing lots of stuff, but I already (laughs) had my shot. I walked into Kate Spade's office. She's painting her toenails at her desk. It's like, there's that feeling. I would go and do anything with Jim Carrey or Seinfeld or anything. And that's what you mentioned last time. Wasn't it with Carrey who was putting like- um, Clothespins. Clothespins on his face. That was unbelievable. There's that feeling, you know. You get it right away. Right away. All the time. Wow. All the time. It's so funny. So after my mom died, I go back to this archive because I think I'm going to have to move this out to Colorado or do something with it. Okay. And I go in and and I look in the folder and I go, oh, there's that feeling. And I go in in another drawer. Oh, there's that feeling. And I skimmed about four drawers worth of stuff and took it back to Boulder. Okay. There was an old scanner in my garage that I had not even wrapped in plastic. It was just... Just out sit, there. It was like a $15,000 scanner <laughs> oh that I didn't take care of. And I had had it for like 12 years. Okay. And in order to run it, it needed a Mac circa 2009 because it had a SCSI <laughs> port. Well, where am I going to get that? We go on eBay. We find a Mac mini for 60 bucks. Uh-huh. We fire With that SCSI. thing up and we start scanning these images. Got it. And we start making these prints. I I got a really good printer. I found a paper that I liked. We got really good inks. Right. 
And we start making these prints and I am hysterical because they are beautiful and make me feel really good. And it's like, there is that feeling. And I make a box of a hundred of wow. these images. Wow. And there they are. And they've hardly been shown at all. I showed like some of the TV ones in Boulder. Mm -hmm. I went to New York with the box and showed them around. But it's such an eclectic group of subjects okay. that whoever I showed them to, they would inevitably go, who's that? Who's that? Interesting. So when I moved to Pittsburgh, the best furniture store in town is Weiss House. They uh -huh. have this absolutely amazing, uh, it's it's run by the Weiss family and who, who are friends of our family, but they're also just amazing and they have amazing taste. And I go and meet with Stacy, who's running the store now, Stacy Weiss. And I go through the box, she knows every person. Wow. Philippe Stark, she knows him. Wow. You know, she of course knows Lagerfeld, but she oh, knows certainly. all the architects. Right, and right, she right, knows right. everyone. And she says, we're gonna do an event at the store with, with your box of prints. So that was this past week. And we had about a dozen prints framed on easels and the rest were all scattered and we're telling stories and I'm, I'm sharing them. And I decided that I wanted to support a group that, mm -hmm. uh, that needed support. And, and I wanted a Pittsburgh group. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted an African-American group because a study came out recently that talked about how Pittsburgh's a hard place for African-American especially women, mm -hmm. that that there's there's a lot working against them that does not sure, happen sure. in cities that are similar size. And I was horrified reading right. that. And it's like, well, I'm going to support this community in every way I can, from photographing to whatever money I can share to just overall support. So we picked a group called Amachi Pittsburgh that helps kids whose parents are incarcerated. And they have amazing people running that company, that that group, sure. and uh, and and they raised these matching funds too. So everything we got got doubled. Wow! And they came and told their story at this sale, and it was packed. Weiss House was packed, and it was just everybody wins. It was awesome. Yeah, everybody wins. It was just awesome. I mean, there were people that I hadn't seen since high school that showed up. I bet there were people that were friends of my mom's that showed up. And all the people that Stacy knows, and it was really fun. What is it about those photos? I would imagine maybe it's with every photographer, maybe it's not, but you have this collection of photos that at the time you shot them were either not good enough or didn't hit the mark or you didn't have the right feeling for them, and you put them away. Then you revisit them later in your life, and they're the right photos. Well, that's magic, right? Right, but they they were the right photos at their time. Like okay. these are pictures that were in big ad campaigns okay. and okay. Uh, on magazine okay. covers, and they they were shot for specific reasons okay. on on assignment. So that was your catalog. Then that was your catalog. Yeah, of your they work. were they okay. were successful in what they were supposed to do, but in terms of me owning them and me being friends with them and me using them Got as it. my uh, to say this is who I am to help build your brand, whatever the George Lang brand is, you right. say you struggle with that in terms right. of identifying who you are as a photographer. Right. So it seems, and see that was very exciting in our, our conversation we had at our our, our, our nice lunch today. I, <laughs> Wait, I, stop for one second. <laughs> Eric invites me to this lunch. <laughs> and, you know, a friend of his has this restaurant in Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. Absolutely. And we go in this large restaurant <laughs> and you know I'm looking at this menu and I didn't look at it that carefully but there's meatballs and there's uh 
something, and it didn't even <laughs> occur to me that they would have a salad there. So the waitress says, well, do you want the same salad that Eric's getting? And I said, sure. And she brings me <laughs> basically the equivalent of a Permantes brother salad. <laughs> there are fries on the salad. There is everything but the kitchen sink on this salad. There's probably not <laughs> one healthy thing buried, maybe somewhere underneath it if I had a tweezer. Oh, there was meat on there, protein. It was, yes, <laughs> it was all there. All the food groups were there. Anthony Jr.'s and Coriolis for our Pittsburgh audience. Yes. yes. And uh, Anthony said hello. He, yes, he, he did. Yes, he, he did. Had, he had just gotten the mail. <laughs> he had just gotten the mail. He had just gotten the mail. But that was that was. But fun. it was an amazing lunch today. And one of the things you shared with me is you were trying, to, not trying. You, you are. Correct me if I am wrong, because I may word this wrong. You are finally getting com- comforting comfort or understanding of your legacy as a photographer. That's right. Is that correct? That's right. That makes me happy because <laughs> you shared last time you were here that you were really you had always struggled with what makes a George Lang picture. Right. And that that boggles my mind that you've shot hundreds and hundreds of thousands of photographs but the way that i that i photograph is i'm I'm extremely in the moment okay like even here like mm-hmm. there's nothing outside of this studio right now there are there is nothing going on in washington there is nothing going on in pittsburgh i've done nothing before this and i have no clue what i'll do after it's a great but way to live. at this moment that we're sharing mm-hmm. That's where I live, mm-hmm. and that's where I photograph. And if I'm truly in that moment, then I'm not thinking about my legacy. I'm not thinking what makes a George Lang picture. I am just being who I am in the best possible way. Okay, hopefully, I think I get it. And and I do that with my kids too. Okay, like my kids have memories. I've never had a memory. Like this is not an aging thing. This is a DNA thing. And my son can tell you. What happened in the third inning <laughs> at the baseball game we went to on Father's Day six years ago? That's awesome. And he's 12. You know, he can remember the first Father's Day game we went to. And he can remember all that stuff. Right. And I can't even remember to stop at a red light. <laughs> well, so you, so you basically went back and revisited these photographs for your prior work. And as a collection, would you say that the subjects were eclectic, intermixed together? Well, the thing that's funny is is that the subjects are not what interests me. Like the, the moments? I, I feel like there's this feeling, like I described, that I've been trying to get to. Okay. And, and I get to it in different ways through all the subjects, okay. but they're all about that feeling to me. Like different ways of showing a similar feeling. It's like people that just shoot landscapes mm-hmm. in their way. Like they're getting to those lands, they're getting to that feeling via whatever the landscape's doing that day or how they relate to it or how they record it. Okay. So I I have been having these experiences every day and I get off on the experience. Like the experience for me is where it's at. It's not in this piece of paper you hang on the wall. But, but lately I've been embracing the piece of paper a little bit too because that's... Uh, that's in some ways been a weak, a a weakness. Okay. Not, not being able to embrace the object of art. Hmm. So I, I have a show up now in uh, Denver. Right. And I have right. a bunch of pictures up on a museum wall. Let's talk about that. Um, there's a woman that I went to RISD with, uh, Rhode Island School of Design. Her name was Francesca Woodman. Her mm-hmm. name still is Francesca Woodman. She passed away several years after RISD, but the work that she created, she was a classmate of mine, has become incredibly famous. And uh, I don't know why certain work elevates itself to 
something that a lot of people are inspired by mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and experience, experience in powerful ways. But hers did that. Many thanks to her mother and Marion Goodman, who's a New York gallery owner. And they took this work and created a narrative and took it out in the world and they mm -hmm. curated it very tightly and very well. And she became a myth, like very famous. But most of the work went out under the cloud of how she died, okay. which was suicide. Right. So there's this darkness <clears throat> and most of the work that was shown had a darkness to it um, because that's that's what was shown. Well, my little chapter, my friendship with Francesca was not dark at all. Like we had all this fun right? and we would play and we would- Right, um, right, right. right. We, we would be silly. She could be really silly. Okay. I mean, she would put these little notes under my door inviting me to come to tea or ice cream at her <laughs> at her loft and some would be written on rabbit fur, little whatever. Or she'd send these prints through the mail to me okay. with a stamp, like the prints of a naked girl coming out of wallpaper. <laughs> and she did a lot of nude self-portraits, a lot of naked sure. models. And sure. uh, oddly enough, the pictures are not that sexual, but they're really, they're really powerful. Okay. So I took everything that was, that was from our friendship and put it in a box. Mm -hmm. Pictures I took of her, pictures she took of me, pictures when she left RISD and said, go to my loft, there's all this stuff on the floor, take what you want. Well, there was letters and there was prints and I just grabbed a bunch of stuff and threw it in a box and kept it closed. And after she died, I kept it really closed because I felt like our friendship right. was alive in that box. Got and, it. And it was too much to open it. It was too much to look at it, it made me sad, and I just didn't want to deal with it. So 40 years later. 40 years. 40 years, 30 years, 35, some, many years later, <laughs> um, when I was living in Boulder, mm -hmm. I'm working out of, an, out of an abandoned hospital, and I had the whole pediatric rehab wing. And, you're working, wait, time out. You're working out of an abandoned hospital. Yes, it's heated and air conditioned, but it's not a hospital. Like the developers are waiting to tear it down. Okay. And so it's not people running like- So you just go in and rent out the space while they're they, deciding what they want to do with it? They actually <laughs> gave it to me. They gave me the whole pediatric rehab wing. Wow, All okay. the windows are facing the mountains. Okay. And it's, it's kind of creepy, but awesome. There was also a, uh, <laughs> there was a rehab pool there, a very warm pool. Okay. And I had access to that too. And there was still water in it and it was clean. Amazing. And I had my book group for men there one night and they're all drinking beer and talking about Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> we did the Bruce Springsteen biography that night and I had the music playing very loud. It, wow. was, it was weird. Wow. But there was an art dealer in Denver mm -hmm. and she came up and towards the end of showing her my work, I said, you might want to see this. And I opened up the Francesca box. And she said, she, she just couldn't believe that I had this. And then she had the curator from the Museum of Contemporary Art in Denver come up and look at the box. And she said, I'm going to do a show of your box. Wow. And that was two years ago. And the show opened about six weeks ago in Denver at the Museum of Contemporary Art. It's up till April. And Rizzoli, which is one of the top art publishers, mm -hmm. did the catalog for the book. It's called Francesca Woodman, Portrait of a Reputation. When you go into the show, there is a gigantic room. And what they did is they took the picture that I took of Francesca's loft after she moved out, and they they did this gigantic vinyl. So you're actually walking into the into room. It. You're stepping on the pictures that were on the floor, the windows. This it's 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 breathtaking. It's really amazing. Wow. Wow. And how long has this exhibit been going on? 
it just opened six weeks ago. It's up till April. Till April. It may travel. It may not. But the you know the book's around and um, just I was, because you mentioned to her at a gathering, you had this box of photos. Right. Right. See the happenstance and, of it all. And one of the things that's funny is I kept. Sometimes, I mean, Francesca, there was a lot of material, but I kept folders on all my friends. I kept everything that mm-hmm. they sent to me. Okay. So I had this friends folder and Got it. every letter, every everything was in there. If they, if we took a little Polaroid or snapshot or whatever, prints, it was all in that box. Sometimes there are cassettes in there of things I recorded. And I just kept all that stuff. What's the process when, uh, is it a curator that puts together an exhibit? Is that how it's done? So I'm, yeah. I'm trying to understand because I don't it, know how that works. Right, um, it's amazing. Oh, well, just just to finish uh, the oh, Francesca sure, sure, thing. Sure, sure. So a third of the pictures in the exhibit are pictures I took of Francesca. That's my question. Two thirds are hers. Got it. But the curator is a woman named Nora Burnett Abrams, and I went to her with one condition, and the condition is, what I'm sharing with you, is this specific piece of the narrative that hasn't been told, which is my experience. I don't really know how she died or what she was thinking. I don't know a lot of her life, but the part that I shared, I have like a really human story to tell. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to mm-hmm. tell. That's that's what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. And Nora really appreciated that and got that and accepted that. Okay. And, okay. Um, and that was a big deal because when you do turn over the work, she's in control. Right. She can make that, it anything she wants. That's where I was headed with it. Yeah, once you... And that's a very, as a, I don't consider myself a control freak, but when this, with this particular box, it was making me very uncomfortable to open it in the first place, let alone to hand over control of how it would be sure. shared. And she just did incredible things with it at the museum. She's the one that created that room. She has these walls that she built that you can see the object from both sides. So you can see the print, the image that Francesca sent me, but you can also read what she wrote on the other side. She wrote to me on French fry wrappers. Like (laughs) there's all this crazy stuff. It was it was brilliant. She was she was amazing. And the way that Nora showed it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't treat the work as this crazy precious art, even though it's in a museum, it treats it at what it what it is, which is this time that we spent in mm-hmm. college together. Yeah, uh, and the human connection is there, so right? So a lot of Francesca's work, while she was not a very good printmaker, um, it was always matted to make it look perfect. Well, none of the prints are perfect. They all have stains and crimps and all kinds of things. And Nora took, like, that all shows in, in our exhibit. So it's authentic. Very authentic. Yeah. That has to be very rewarding. Well, the, I told you this earlier, but the, the thing that's so funny is everyone, the opening, there were a line around the block. Right. People couldn't get in. Right. It was so crowded. And there was this big crowd around me. And I had just moved from Colorado to Pittsburgh. Right. So a lot of friends were coming <laughs> to see me. And it was really nice. And everyone asked me the same question. They all said, are you happy? Are you happy? And I was really happy. And Good. it was really Good. It was really nice to be able to, to feel that and, and to say it. Was it, you know, obviously you knew this box existed. It wasn't like it was hidden away. You were always aware that you had it. You purposely did not open it. Am I correct? For right. a long period of time. Right. And But you, could you ever have imagined that would have been appreciated and curated the way it has been? Was that ever even a thought for you? No. No. And uh, 
it was such a private collection mm-hmm. that the idea of taking it out in in public always made me uncomfortable. Hmm. Really? Yeah. It was um, because when someone dies like that and her work becomes really valuable, mm-hmm. there's a print of hers that just sold for two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars a month mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you you really you really don't want to be one of those people that's exploiting a friend of yours. Understood. Understood. But your this box of photographs has now changed the narrative on her legacy, right? right. It would have to. This right. is this is these are the joyful, happier times of her life, but her work has been shadowed, as you mentioned, by her death. Right. And the way it happened. Like no one has ever seen a picture of her smiling. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's that just that seems incredible to me. Which I'll give you. You can share on your site with okay. this, but but there's a there's there's a picture of me. You won't even recognize me. I'm very hairy, <laughs> and I'm wearing some kind of white smock with a weird hat that I grabbed from her closet. Okay, and okay. we're looking in the mirror, and I'm taking this picture, and we're both laughing, and like no one had ever seen that side of her. Okay. So that was that was kind of sweet, but I felt a real. Uh, responsibility to our friendship okay. more than almost anything else. So two weeks before her mom died, her mom was a very famous artist named mm-hmm. Betty Woodman, mm-hmm. ceramicist mostly, but printmaking too. And two weeks before she died, I met with her and got her blessing to do this show in New York. Really? Yeah. Is that something you felt you needed? I didn't that I wanted. I, I didn't need it um, in that I still could have done the show without sure. her blessing. Oh, yeah. But having her blessing just kind of made a lot of things easier and mm-hmm. it just felt like I just with 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 all of this I had a um I mean really since she's died I, I felt a uh like I wanted to keep honest to what what it was and also what it wasn't okay and and by explaining that to her mother and her mother feeling good about sure. what I was doing, that, sure. that felt good. Okay. Felt validated. It's interesting you found yourself right back in Boulder <laughs> after you just moved back to Pittsburgh. Well, Not that you would never visit again. No, but, but, but one of the funny things, first of all, that was my first trip back to, that to, was your first to Boulder trip back. Okay. when I went for the opening. Okay. And I land, and it's so ridiculously beautiful and sunny, and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> Just for a second, just right? Just for a second. <laughs> but, but you know, the I, I just took my kids there. Uh-huh. They went back for the first time last weekend. Right, right, right. And they're with their old friends. And I I wanted to wait a while. So when we took them back, they weren't like, what, what were we thinking? And they love being with their friends. And, sure. and by the end of the weekend, their friends are, are going... You can move into our like you know they all they all have lots of extra space sure and sure. you know you can move in with us and just go to school with us again and Jackson goes we don't live here anymore uh, which was really that was good nice. for you to hear absolutely and we get back at one thirty in the morning last Monday night okay and I have nine and twelve year old boys and I'm gonna let them sleep in and not go to well, school sure. the next day because sure. it's late you're a nice dad. And I'm going to sleep in, too, because I'm pretty wasted. 7 a.m., Jackson's going, Dad, Dad, wake up, wake up. I don't want to be late for for school. Really? Yeah. Wow. And and he 
you know, he's, he, they're both here now and yeah. they're having a really good experience at school, mm-hmm. but they're having a really good, good experience. This is a very soulful town. Yeah, it And is. this is a really beautiful town. Like, mm-hmm. yes, the mountains in Colorado are spectacular. Mm-hmm. The point is spectacular. Just outside of Pittsburgh, when you drive around or when you're flying over it, mm-hmm. it's spectacular. The people here are, have been so generous and so wonderful and so supportive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I go to Weiss House three or four months after I move here, and there are, I don't know, 100 people, 150 right. people, and right. and right. everyone's just so loving well, and wonderful. there was no doubt in my mind the moment you decided to come back, the town was gonna embrace you again. There was absolutely no <laughs> doubt. I mean, I, I conveyed that to you last time we were together, but I mean, I think it's just getting started here. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, a piece of that's me too. Like, I, I had to open up my arms a little sure, bit. Sure. I couldn't be going around sure. with, Correct. with Correct. my hands closed. Correct. Um, but it's happened in such crazy ways. The the symphony called me to photograph the conductor, mm-hmm. and was that surprising? It, it was thrilling. First of all, my mother loved the symphony, mm-hmm. and my cousin Jody Weisfeld works raising money for the symphony, and she right. got me an introduction there. And 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 I remember going when I was really young, and to be going there now and like being invited up to the conductor's suite before Mm -hmm. the concert and he's passing out chocolate and (laughs) getting us all getting us all uh, a a good sugar high certainly and and then we're there and he says this prayer before the concert and everyone's holding hands and he's he's so quiet in the way that he um, that he's telling what each piece feels like to him and how he relates to each piece and what right. it means right. in the quietest whisper. And then he goes into the Lord's Prayer and we go down the steps and the musicians go to their side of the stage and we go to our side of the stage and the raises his hands and this incredible sound starts. I mean, it's totally thrilling. It's majestic. It's majestic. The other like crazy thrilling cultural moment I've had here mm-hmm. was... August Wilson is one of the greatest playwrights of all time. He grew up in Pittsburgh. He wrote a play based in Pittsburgh for each decade of the 20th century. Okay. It's a cycle of plays. There are 10 plays. One, the one you probably know is Fences Mm -hmm. that Denzel Washington filmed. He's now doing uh, Ma Rainey. Uh, He's filming another one. But these plays all took place in the Hill District. And I've seen them all over the world. I've seen them on Broadway. I've seen them in London. Mm -hmm. I've seen them in LA. And... Dense, complicated, brilliant theater. Brilliant theater. I love the theater. And I read that they were performing Gem of the Ocean. Okay. Last summer, outdoors. Where were they performing it? 1839 Wiley Avenue. When you read the directions for the play, it says this play takes place at 1839 Wiley Avenue in the Hill District downtown. So 1839 Wiley is an empty lot now and they built a stage into the hill. And you sit on the hill. I was not aware. The moon was going up. Wow. The trains are in the distance. Once in a while you heard a siren, <laughs> and they put on this play. And I'm sitting there going, I, I, I can't even believe how amazing this moment is. I am in the, first of all, I love August Wilson, mm-hmm. and I've seen almost mm-hmm. all the plays, but I'm sitting there in the exact spot that he Imagine this play taking wow. place, and these and, and and the acting is extraordinary, and the the, the sense of place is extraordinary, right. and I'm home, mm-hmm. and it's powerful. Yeah, that sounds it's like powerful. it's extremely powerful. 
And I feel like so many of the experiences that I have here, like being with you on Main Street in Coriopolis, <laughs> where, where you where you grew up, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. going with everyone from developers to painters to all these extraordinary people that are that are here, mm-hmm. and and they're here like this. They aren't all here like this. And that's that's really. Are you finding a lot of genuine conversations and a lot of genuine people since you've been back? I mean, have you had yeah. the opportunity? No, to... everyone's totally fa- fake. No, nah, I don't believe it. <laughs> this is Pittsburgh. This is Pittsburgh. I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, listen, I don't agree with everyone. Of I course don't. Not. Of course you know, not. some of the politics are crazy. You you go to a Steeler game. That's anywhere. And people are talking crap, and I'm sitting there with my with right. my 12 year old, right, and they're right, right. like screaming, <laughs> and they are so, it's so horrible, and it's like, do we really yeah, have to listen to this? Yeah. And, Alcohol is a funny thing to football uh, crowds, you know? Right, right. But it is, uh, but going to the Steeler games, you know, when I was little, mm-hmm. my dad had season That's tickets. you told me. Yeah, talk about that. Well, there were 45 mostly guys, there were a couple women and we had tickets from Pitt Stadium on from the age of seven. I went to every home. Good old Steeler Pitt game. Stadium. <laughs> we would we would the sit urinals, on these. The urinals were fabulous. There, right. <laughs> we would sit on these splintery wood benches, and my dad would be smoking a cigar and drinking coffee. And I would, my feet were numb by the end of the first quarter. And I'd say, which one of those is uh, keeping you warm? Mm. And then going to the bathroom mm. there, they had these long the troughs, troughs, yeah. and it was so cold, and there was just this piss <laughs> steam coming out. And as a little boy, you're sitting there next to two. And my dad had this coat that was tweed. Okay. And he'd wear the same tweed coat to every game. <laughs> and as the terrible towel became coats. a big thing, he would call his coat the terrible tweed. The terrible tweed. And he would go with his with his Steelers scarf and his uh and his terrible tweed. And you know what? I don't think we watched the game that much, but it was about being with my dad <laughs> on a right. Sunday. Absolutely right. And it, and 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 I don't remember much of what on on the field. Well, they were pretty bad in those years, in that era. Sixties, yes, right? Yes, but in high school, <laughs> they, they were good. winning all those rings. I was they at the game good. with the immaculate reception, and I know everyone claims to be at that game. Uh huh. I was were, at that you game. You were at that game. I was at that game, and I remember his elbow digging into me. I was so excited, I but bet. I just remember you know being able to spend Sundays with my dad and mm-hmm. how special that was, and then the rings of his friends that grew out of that that right, seat. right. Yeah, and this and we were talking at lunch. This is a this town is drunk on the Steelers, and it, it was then probably. And you think it, it probably it still is, but not in the same way. A little different. Well, how much of it is really about the Steelers, and how much of it is about ritual? I don't know. And how well, much of question. it is about being you know with people mm-hmm. that uh, in a way that you normally wouldn't wouldn't be together. Sports in general, don't I mean, you think? My I mean, dad had these seats, and he had a good chunk of them and he gave some to the people that he worked with up in beaver falls which is an hour from here oh yeah and these are people that he saw every day but i didn't right so i got to be with my dad and his friends from work right and uh it was it was really special how betters would would play the trombone with his jazz band (laughs) and and there was something something very gritty and honest about what was going on on the field too and mm-hmm. i think that that i mean you could have discussions you could talk and relate in in a way at those games that you wouldn't have the same discussions Mm-mm. away di- from that it was that. different than that too and you, and you would look forward to it i mean mm-hmm. and you were completely disconnected now when you go to the game you're still checking your email you're still texting you're still taking all these pictures and everything 
although I took pictures then that I that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But when when you would go to those games, it was just like there were there were no distractions ex- except what was going on on the field, huh. and and you, that was a shared experience. And you were hanging out, and you could have conversations that you just wouldn't mm. normally have. It was almost uh, it was in a communal. I used to go to the Steelers games with my father in the early seventies, and froze my you know what off. Huh. But I loved it. It was with my it was my, and my father was we were they were not um, of, of a lot of means. So when he got a set of tickets, he was usually through work. You know, he's lucky to get them. We were usually very high up in the stadium, but it was a communal experience. It was just that it was. Um, and I guess it's sports in general, but there was just something amazing about about the Steelers in this town in that era, and what the, the team meant to the town and what happened at that game it was so. It was, it was communal is the only word I can come up with. It was such an authentic moment that I think is different than when I take my son to a game today. It just feels different. But everything about it, loading into the station wagon, listening to the pregame show, and everyone talking the AM radio, <laughs> and like. And like trying to figure out the fastest way to get to the north side, and everyone had their own way, and none of them were faster than any other. But uh-huh. like, oh, we, you know, uh-huh. we uh, got parking. there. We uh, we uh, beat Walking the system. through that little tunnel. Remember the tunnel? The tunnel, was, yeah. Like that that whole just. I remember closing my eyes and just hearing the sound of feet. All those heavy boots going through uh-huh. the tunnel, uh-huh. going to the game. Yeah, and and just every every part of it. Nuance. I of loved. It. I loved the ritual. I love yeah. the ritual. And I mean, it's funny. I, I know now that whenever I get up from my desk, good things happen. Whenever I leave my office, good things happen. The best things in my life are not going to happen looking at my screen. Exactly right. You aren't going to fall in love looking at your screen, hopefully. Mm-hmm. You aren't going to have your children looking at a screen, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like, none of the good stuff. Whenever I go out, whenever I go out, I forgot my phone the other day. And I'm going down South Negley, taking my son to school. I said, I forgot my phone. He goes, please don't go back and get it. I don't want to be late for school. <laughs> He's obsessed with getting to school on time. Right. I said, you know what? I'm going to have a phone-free day. So I go to work, and I can get my texts on my computer. And, right, right, you know, right. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But when I went to lunch and was eating by myself, what am I going to read? Because I normally read on my phone, which is so, <laughs> I'm not proud of that. You so, can buy a paper, George. You okay, can. so I thought, I'm going to buy a paper. Well, I don't know where to get a paper. So I'm thinking, I'm just going to go to this bookstore that's over on Liberty, Whale Books. Okay. And buy a book, and All I'm right. going to read. All right. And I... And I'm going to go to this Portuguese restaurant and read there. So I go to Whale Books. I'm looking at all these books. They're all subjects I'm interested in, but each one has a really violent angle. Interesting. And I don't want to read about violence. That's not my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So the woman running the store says, oh, we have someone coming to read tonight. You should come. Her name, I'm going to forget her name. Uh, It's And I said, well, tell me about her books. And she says, oh, they're so good. I've been like deep diving into them. There's this one book I'm halfway through. I said, I'll buy it. Fair enough. And I bought the book. And she said, by the way, after she does the, the signing tonight, Long Form Podcast is recording her live. They're from Brooklyn and they're right. going to be at Pitt. Right. I go, Long Form, that's one of my favorite besides yours, Eric. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> yes. It's one of my favorite podcasts. They basically take writers that do long form writing right. and they do an hour interview with them. Right. And it's so good. And I go 
to this podcast. And I get to meet Max, who is interviewing them, one of the founders and one of the people that do the podcast. They have a couple afterwards and get to tell them how much I love that podcast. But all these things happen. I met the writer. Mm -hmm. I met a friend at that I ran into at the podcast. I got to meet the guy that does long form podcast just because I left my phone at home. You weren't looking at your screen. All these good things happen. Uh-huh. And and I, and I feel like something happened at those Steeler games that could not have happened unless we were all there mm-hmm. and present. I mean, mm-hmm. one thing at a Steeler game, you were, you, you were gonna be completely present. You were with people that you loved. Right. You were watching something that you were passionate right. about on different levels. Right. And you were right. having a, an experience in real time live that yeah. you could look forward to yeah. and that you could think about afterwards. And you knew it had a whole feeling to it from the clothes that you wore that were almost like my dad had his uniform just like the players had their uniform. My being with my dad, I knew even though he worked six days a week at those games, we were together and we were right. like really together. Right. And it was just, everything about it was awesome. And I try and recreate those feelings with my own kids. My my son Jackson's 12 mm-hmm. loves to go to baseball games. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't like to get there when the game starts. He likes to get there when they turn <laughs> the, key. the key and open the door. And I'll go in and the scoreboard will say the game will start in two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And he races out to center field. And in his backpack, he has both teams' jerseys. So whoever is doing batting practice, he has their jerseys on. Smart he knows kid. all the players. Smart kid. And he's never gone to a game and not gotten a ball. Huh, how about that? But we're there early, and you know what happens when the game's over? We don't leave. I can imagine. The usher goes, you have to leave now. Everyone else is gone. (laughs) And it's a long commitment. It's a long day. And if I go there thinking of what I'm missing, Mm -hmm. like never looking up for my phone, all those things, it doesn't work. But if I go there and just appreciate how awesome it is to watch Jackson doing his thing and so excited and as soon as batting practice is over, going to get in the front row to get autographs mm-hmm. and like checking the seats out on the way to get autographs and the, the whole ritual of it right. and the time that we get to spend together right. and how precious that time is. That's the thing that I did with my dad. If I'm hearing you correctly, you are describing what most most people I don't think can do, including myself often, is live in the moment, be in the moment, and and not only be there, but acknowledge it. And you that was a reoccurring theme in our last discussion, too. That's interesting. Have you always pretty much been able to do that, or did you have to make a conscious decision to live that way at some point in your life? I would have to make a conscious decision not to live that way. Interesting. Like that's that's how I'm wired for better and worse. Like we can we can talk about all the good things, but they're also like they're ways of making money that if you can step back out of the moment and mm-hmm. think about certain things objectively, that mm-hmm. you can be a little more successful. Sure, sure. There are um photographers just to stick with what I do that mm-hmm. are really good at pre-production and, and pre-visualizing what they're going to do and then taking what they've done and thinking about it again and really like doing lots of things that are kind of amazing. Okay. There are, this is going to sound really weird, but like lately they've been releasing these Beatle albums and I, I've been into the Beatles when I grew mm-hmm. up, but not that much since. And they've been releasing all these outtakes and I've just been fascinated to 
because you you see how these songs that are miracles right. weren't miracles. They didn't start out as miracles. <laughs> no, they did not. They started out like a mess. Mm-hmm. Not like mm-hmm. not all a mess, but like We're in a skeleton form. Yeah, they did not sound anywhere near where they wound up. And that these guys like, okay, I have this idea of Rocky Raccoon, and it's it sounds like not so great. Like and George Martin was an impor- important guy, wasn't he? Really important guy. <laughs> and they were pushing back and embracing, and they were going to these orchestras and right. saying, make a noise. And it's like there was nothing written on paper. And, right. you know, the right. sound of that piano, there's this... Um, there's this interview I heard with Paul McCartney once, and, and he's touring Abbey Road Studios relatively recently. And there's a piano sitting in the uh, in the hallway. Okay. He goes, "Oh, look at this! This is what I played Lady Madonna on." Wow. And it's that sound, and it's just you know there are people that can spend a lot of time shaping something to take it from being raw to it being extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not that good at that. What I'm good at is being in the moment, and I'm good at improvising, and I'm good at like finding these feelings that, to me, are just sitting there, mm-hmm. <laughs> waiting to be recorded, or waiting to be shared, but a lot of people don't see them or feel them. It just sounds like you're uber aware. You're just aware of everything going around. I watched you walk in the studio today, and immediately you're walking along the wall, and you're looking at things. And you'd seen them prior, but you're not revisiting it again. You were revisiting the studio and seeing what was different, and you noticed a few things that were different. Right. And, and that's so interesting to me because I would like to be more that way, but I am point A to point B often thinking ahead so often that I have to um, look I have to cognitively tell myself, stop, breathe, what's around you. Right. Didn't have that problem as much when my children were younger. Huh. I loved every second of being a dad, like just like you described with your son and being there and soaking it all in and the ritual, the whole thing. And then they get a little older and they have their own life and they go do their thing. And I find myself falling back into that that always looking at what's coming next, whether it's a minute or whether it's three hours from now, as opposed to really concentrating and really living in in the moment. I guess that's a kind of a canned phrase, but uh, it fascinates me that your, your your work was done. You were just so focused about what was going on around you. I would love to be more that way. A little selfish share. I'll, right. I'll no, 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 no. I, I mean, it, it, I, I think I, it's so rare though, George. It's rare. I find it rare. Yeah, and it's all that I've known. Hmm. I mean, it's it's the only way that I know how to function. I mean, sometimes when I'm doing these shootings, it's like, what is my problem? Like, why can't I figure some of this out beforehand? Why can't I be a little more uh, methodical? And and I'm just really comfortable like walking on a tightrope. <laughs> Well, you you share with me some of your best work that you're, some of the work you're most proudest of were shots that were taken in the first three minutes of arriving on a set. Right, right, that, all the that's time. That's unbelievable. Right, and sometimes I think of it like a piano. Okay, the white notes are all the things that you expect. Okay, like if you photograph Jim Carrey, and I photographed him probably more than any other photographer. Right, right, right. He would come in and do his faces, like, and you know all those faces from the movies, and they were great in the movies. I'm not interested in those at all. They don't reveal anything to me. Okay. They're like his mask. Then in between, they're the black notes. 
And I'd give him a quart of milk and I'd say, drink the milk. And he'd just spill it right over his face. <laughs> or I'd put him up on a thing and he'd take one shoe off and turn it upside down and he's holding his foot up, but one shoe's facing the wrong way. Or we did this picture for the cover of Esquire where he, I said, what's gonna happen to your face? It's so rubbery when you get old. <laughs> and he picks up a clothespin and puts another clothespin and there is our picture. Right. And it was always like, I loved being in that moment. And I was good at creating moments that felt fresh, but I was not super great. Like for instance, when I photographed the cast of Friends, mm-hmm. I had this idea, well, I'm gonna give them each their own shape and I'm gonna get a set builder and he'll just put a triangle, a circle, a square, five shapes up on the wall. This is not done in Photoshop, it's up on a wall. And at the height of Friends' greatest popularity, I bring them in, there's like this horde of paparazzi outside just trying to see in. And I have them get up on this wall. If it wasn't built right, I would have been in big trouble. I bet. But I I get them up in this space, and then I realized I have the cast of Friends there. (laughs) I can do anything. And I realized something. I haven't thought what they're gonna do. I haven't figured that no out. No planning. How is that possible? I'm some kind of idiot. Like I have this super famous actors on this stage for me. They will do anything I want and I don't know what I want them to do. I love that place. I'm so comfortable there. That's amazing though. I mean, that's just, I would think, did you ever have, um, See, Kramer, to me, the animated nature of Kramer on that show would have been picture perfect for you to do a whole day with, or maybe 10 minutes with, knowing your style. You get to get it knocked out in the first 10 minutes. But he was, right. uh, that Kramer, uh, Michael... Who was Richards. The, he was so animated. But the he thing about him the top. is I photographed him a lot. Did you would you? not want to have a... Like, he was not that interesting to talk interesting. to. Interesting. But he was interesting to photograph. <laughs> I have a picture of him literally walking a pigeon. <laughs> It's <laughs> walking a pigeon. Walking a pigeon on a leash. <laughs> How come that never became a famous photo? I've never seen that. That's hysterical. That's hysterical. Well, check it out. <laughs> I had to check that out. I printed it. Wow. But that's a picture that I sat on for 30 years and I just printed in the last six months. Oh, you did? Well, yeah. I, I need to look at that. You need to look I at it. I need to look at that. It's pretty funny. But you say he wasn't that interesting, huh? As a, as Well, like. As an actor. You want to connect with different people in different ways. Like, I don't remember talking to him. I was thinking of, of my Andy Warhol shooting. Like, you would think that I was alone with Andy Warhol for a half hour. We would uh-huh. have something to say. We didn't talk at all. Nothing. Nothing. Interesting. He freaked me out. Yeah. He freaked he was, me he out. Was, he freaks me out, and I'm from far. Yeah. <laughs> and and he was happy not talking, and I didn't know what to say, so we just took pictures. He appeared in uh, fashion advertisements, too, didn't he, at yeah. times? They'd throw him in like a... It's kind of towards the end of his career. It was very odd. I remember like looking guy. at Gentleman's Quarterly probably in the late 80s or something, mid, mid-80s, and he'd be I like... I love that you were reading that, Eric. I was reading that. <laughs> I absolutely... I, I, I was dreaming of the clothes I couldn't afford, yeah. and I was reading the arguments articles pretending I was somebody I wasn't. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. I remember him, yeah. But those, those magazines, you know, a lot of those kind of NAS magazines especially, uh-huh. uh, they had really good writing. I thought so. Yeah. I did. I, I haven't read one in quite a long time. I don't think it well, is what it was. they barely exist anymore. They're all on life support. It it, yeah, it is on life support. Um, but you've been back and forth to New York City a couple of times recently, huh? Anything you can talk about? Uh, yes. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm having on, a, on the spot, buddy. <laughs> I'm having a, a similar experience with with New York now as I'm having with with uh, Pittsburgh. I'm kind of going there with this feeling that I've had coming back to Pittsburgh, but taking it to New York. Okay, and I'm calling people that I was a little nervous about calling or reaching out to before, and everyone's seeing me, uh-huh. and and it's kind of blowing blowing me away. You're really surprised by that, huh? I'm really happy. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 I get One of the it. happiest things is there's a photographer who grew up in McKeesport, mm-hmm. where Andy Warhol grew up, mm-hmm. pretty close in age. He's now 87, right. Dwayne Michaels. Right. Did I talk about him before? Just barely. Yeah, Just barely. I mean, he's, he's, he's one of my biggest heroes. When I was in college, right. he gave a talk up at MIT, and I went there, and he talked very fast, and I recorded it with my cassette recorder. And I at came, MIT? What was it he about? Was, he was speaking at MIT about photography Interesting. and about creativity. Okay, and, okay. Um, and Dwayne loves Pittsburgh, but he lives in New York. Okay. So I came back to RISD, and I transcribed the entire talk from that cassette. It took me a week. I bet. On a legal pad. <laughs> I still have it. It's my oh Bible. My like everything about creativity that I grew to understand and appreciate and be inspired by right. was on that legal pad. And for years, I would run into Dwayne in New York and he'd go, George, call me. I'm in the phone book. And I'd go, I can't call you. You're Dwayne Michaels. You're like too big a hero. It would be like, call, it would be like calling your, like, your favorite baseball star, whatever. Right, I mean, right, it was right. just too much. Right. So, uh, Mr. Clemente, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> um, so, finally, two years ago, I called him. I said, let's have lunch. Right. And we had a three-hour lunch. And he goes, come back to my uh, house. Let me show you what I've been working on. At 87, Amazing. he's done 20 short films in the last two years. 20. 20. And he's also doing all these reimagining of his archives. and Wow. It's He has two shows up right now, one at a large gallery in Chelsea okay. and one at the Morgan Library that if anyone's going to New York, you have to see this. Okay. And it's extraordinary. So I went to the Morgan Library three days last Wednesday. Okay. And I'm in this room and it's it's really an extraordinary show and everyone is just talking about how amazing Dwayne is and looking at this work and right. there may be a hundred people at the show. Okay. And it's a slow day. All right. And I I called Dwayne, I said, Are you around? He goes, Yeah, come by. And in fifteen minutes I'm suddenly sitting alone with Dwayne in his <laughs> living room and I had planned this a little bit because he loves the Post Gazette and I brought him a copy of the Post Gazette, but I had changed everything in it. I wrote all over it. There was, there was, <laughs> on the second page, there's a clock, and I pretended that it was the old clock from Kaufman's department uh, store. I got it. And I went to the obituaries, I crossed everyone's name out, <laughs> and I wrote all these things that we miss about Pittsburgh that are no longer here. Okay, so and you editorialized this paper a bit I there. I did, it's completely different. <laughs> and But I got to be with Dwayne, who yeah. was like my hero. Yeah. It's, it's completely crazy. And he was literally like 15 minutes away from the actual exhibit. Yeah. That's surreal. It's surreal. That's very surreal. And and that's what my life feels like now. I'm, I'm like getting to be with the most amazing people and have the most amazing mm-hmm. experiences only because I'm not thinking too much about anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just really wanting to experience and feel everything and really connect with other people. And if I sit there and plan it too much, it's not gonna happen. And if I sit there and uh, 
strategize too much, I'm not gonna get to the best stuff. And if I'm looking at my screens, Mm -hmm. it's definitely not gonna happen. I mean, those couples of which I can definitely be a part of, Right. when we go to bed looking at our screens, Mm -hmm. nothing good's gonna happen. No. We are not gonna sleep great. We are not gonna love great. (laughs) Like nothing good's gonna happen. And I think, I don't wanna be one of those people, oh, you should never look at your screens, but it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. What's going on now? Yeah, I think so. Two questions for you. One, maybe more of a statement. Yeah. That week's long, week long worth of work that you put into this transcription of his talk, that's going to be part of your story. So don't ever lose that. <laughs> that's going to be hanging in an exhibit someday when you're I long so. gone, my friend. That's that that has to be an important part of your story. If that was your Bible right. for creativity, totally. right? Totally. My other statement is kind of a question are you finally becoming more comfortable with your body of work and is there an element of maybe some pride finally coming there george right my dad used to always say do you ever look in the mirror and pat yourself on the shoulder and that just seemed like the most foreign thing to me uh yes I am enjoying my work more, and I don't know that I totally understand it. I'm not exactly sure where it fits in, but I'm really enjoying sharing it now. And I also am trying to understand uh, that it has value and appreciate that it has value. Hmm. Because it was never created as an art object. And the only way to put it out and share it really that it has value is as an art object. To put it on Instagram is just like, really mm-hmm. devaluing it. Sure. So Agreed. Uh, now they're making prints, mm-hmm. how do I show the prints and how do I value them and mm-hmm. how and you know how does that work? That all feels new to me. And to be honest, sometimes I look at the box and it blows my mind how good I think it is and how like, wow, this is amazing that I took these pictures. And sometimes I look at it and I go like, ah, you know, <laughs> okay, you know, this is this is okay. And you know, it's hard because there's certain people that have done a really good job of taking their work and creating those objects. And the idea of the objects was part of the idea of creating the work. Okay. And that just wasn't for me. Okay. So I've never created a picture that the object was as important or more important than the experience. Mm-hmm. The experience is always what what drove me. So with my kids, I have this experience every day with them, like right. consciously. I, I do, I'm still in that stage, which I hope never ends, where the time is so precious and so meaningful and I can have these conversations mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I, that of things that I wanna share with them and even more, get them to share ideas with me because I'm not there to teach my kids. I'm there to learn. Right. You said that last last time you were here, I thought it was fascinating. I think that's true. And and even if in the process I share something with them that they learn something from, that's <laughs> awesome. But I'm really getting at like trying to learn things from them, both the way they navigate the world or their fears, mm-hmm. like to see my own fears in their fears. Mm-hmm. Like one of my son's was afraid to go to his new school in Pittsburgh. And and I knew it was just about fear. And he said, you know, it might have been about fear, but I was eaten by myself at lunch. That wasn't so much fun. Right. right so right. but there was one Sunday night 
And he said, I'm not going tomorrow. This is my, my nine-year-old. I'm not going to school. And I said, you have to go to school. He goes, I'm not going. I said, let's go for a ride. And we drove for 45 minutes all through Greenfield. And I was right. trying to find the hilliest parts I could find. <laughs> and after 45 minutes, we don't talk the whole time. And we circle back to the house. He says, I'm still not going. <laughs> I floored it. We went out through Shenley Park, down the parkway, through the Fort Pitt tunnels, and I'm going to drive up to Erie. I'm just going to keep driving till he gets over his fear. And finally, really? we're like getting so like so far away from home. He goes, where are we going? That's the first words he said the whole time. And I said, we're driving all night until you get over your fear of school. Huh. And five minutes later, he says, okay, I'll go to school tomorrow. I said, really? don't tell me you're going to school if you're going to wake up and not go. He says, no, no, no. I'll go to school. And now wow. he's up at 6.30 on his own, like all dressed and <laughs> helping me ready. make breakfast. He's, he's ready. ready and he's into it. And, and how was school? And it's not school was good. School was great. Yeah. And yeah. and just going through that process, like I'm, I'm going through that process too. Like, what am I doing here? Where am I driving? What am I afraid of? And I'm learning through him. I'm not some big expert on fear. I'm not some big expert on you know how do we act to something that scares me mm -hmm. but i'm going through that same process it's and i'm driving around thinking about my own stuff too is pittsburgh like a, a new i mean you've obviously it's not new but it's kind of new now is it like a new adventure for you completely do you feel like pittsburgh is an adventure i've never been to coriopolis before uh, twice now twice <laughs> but before this i grew up for 18 years never came to coriopolis really and there's so many towns i went to with jordan's jordan's with uh jackson's uh Little League. Got it. So many towns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he, uh, and I'd never been in this town. I've been to Kennywood like 14 times this summer. I bet. My boys, <laughs> my boys treated Kennywood like, like a carnival that you get to go to once a year, except it was open for the whole summer. Got it. Kennywood's the great amusement park in, yeah, in they, uh, they went that off. That's like a regular occurrence in their life. Asher then. went on the Steel Curtain, which is the new. Right. The new roller coaster nine times in one day, nine and, times, and in I one swear day. that is not healthy for a nine-year-old. <laughs> I thought his brain was completely scrambled. That thing's frightening. To it me. is so frightening, but he is—he is fearless, and he also, you know, the all our kids are so different, mm -hmm. and none of them are mm -hmm. like I, I get that that we're that that they learn things from us, but they're but they're so different. It's almost. Hard to believe that they come from the same right. genes, right? But but Asher does the same thing every day, even especially after dinner that I do when I shoot. Interesting. He just makes it up. <laughs> he makes it up. He says, "I'm going to put on a show," and he does like all this crazy stuff that it's like, "Where does this come from?" And even the other day, uh -huh. he saw a piece of art. He says, "How did he come up with that idea?" And I always go, you nut, the same way you come up with all this stuff that you do every day. Uh -huh. And he just makes it up and he's so happy when he's in that place, Make, in his zone. Making it up as yeah. he goes. He goes on the trampoline and he's there for two hours yeah. just making it up. <laughs> and it's all crazy. And in in his head, it, it, it all, all makes, makes sense. sense. But the part that I think he gets off on, mm -hmm. I'm taking a leap here, it might not be true, but the part that I get off on is not having a roadmap. 
not knowing where it's headed, not having a plan, just that that total joy in discovery. The spontaneity of it all. Yeah, the discovery. Right. Like coming in here with you, right. I had no clue where this is going to go. Me neither. <laughs> I just I just wanted all of you guys at home to be sitting there doing your dishes a little more a little more inspired. I want you to be driving down the road right. a little bit faster. Right. I want you to be looking up going like I can do this. Yeah. And we are yeah. all amazing. We I are. believe that. And I go out in the world looking for the place, the waitress at the restaurant. Uh-huh. How is she amazing? Yep. The um the woman that was at the DMV telling me that they were closed. <laughs> How is she amazing? <laughs> The guy trying to get me the soft light bulbs at Home Depot because one of our lights is cool white and one of us warm right. light outside of our house. It looks right. very janky if you go down right. our street. Got it. So like, got how it. are they amazing? Like I am programmed to try and figure out how we are all amazing. That's what I look for. And to a fault, mm-hmm. there's lots of stuff that mm-hmm. I don't see and lots of stuff I don't understand and lots of things I don't process, but that's how I go out in the world. Hmm. One last question for you, my friend. I feel like I'm always being taken to school when I sit with you. I love it. (laughs) Have you given any more thought, because you hadn't last time we we spoke, have you given any more thought about really putting together a book of your work? They call it coffee table book. Right, right. Kramer on Seinfeld said a a coffee table book made out of coffee tables. Going through... (laughs) Right, right, right. Going through the... um, the experience at the museum in Denver, like, definitely got me over a little bit of a hump of looking at my work on a museum wall, okay. seeing it in this book. Okay. That was all really positive. I need someone to help me because it's like every everything that we see printed mm-hmm. has been edited and curated. Me, Generally me not, me not by me. the photographer. Okay. So if you get a newspaper, you remember those? Yeah. <laughs> Every word was edited and fact check, checked. When you get a book, there's an editor that's gone through all the raw copy and mm-hmm. said, this doesn't make sense. Why don't we like shape, shape it? And, and I need someone to help me do that with my work because it's overwhelming and there's too much of it okay. and I'm too close to it. Okay. And it's really hard for me like to help do that with the pictures. Like I can create the narrative. I've been telling the story of George Lang for <laughs> for a while, and in a lot more publicly. I've been doing more more public speaking, and right? Podcasts right. and all that, right? Um, so I'm getting like clear on the story on the narrative, but the way that I illustrate it for me, it's hard to understand which pictures tell what story because okay. they all tell many stories to me. So you would have trouble choosing. If, if the book had 400 photos, I'm just throwing a number Yeah, on, You would have trouble deciding what would be the best 400 photos to put in there. And the other thing is, is if I was doing it for myself, it would be hard. And if I was doing it for you, it would be hard too because every time I show the pictures, someone likes something else. Uh, interesting. Like the other night, I pulled out a picture of Anita Hill. Uh-huh. that I'd taken. And for me, it was the first time that I'd ever had a picture backlit. Okay. She was lit by this bright light behind her. Okay. It's not like she looks uh, weird or anything. She just looks unbelievably 
beautiful uh-huh. and elegant. Okay. Um, which which is not necessarily my strong suit doing beauty pictures. Uh, so I'm very much into this experience visually that happened. Okay. But the people like the woman that runs Amachi bought the print. Like she was so moved by this picture of Anita Hill. And it's like, well, if I was looking at my 400 best pictures, would Anita Hill fit in there? Got or it. would Kramer, you know, walk in the, walk in the pigeon? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I you, see you know, that one. <laughs> so it's like, like, it's hard to, like, it would be easy if you said, George, let's do a project on Pittsburgh. Okay. And we'll do a coffee table book on Pittsburgh. That's defined. When you look hmm. at my whole career, I've gone from, you know, poets in Ireland to factory workers in Thailand to uh, people, th- farmers throwing apples in the sky mm-hmm. in Cape Town. But that's the beauty of the whole thing. That's the beauty. But but if you just throw all that out there without a, a tight narrative or some narrative or some way that people can like appreciate it. Uh, like this show in a very smaller way compared to the body of your career, but this show is open genre. Right. Except political stuff. We don't do any politics, but all kind Thankfully. of fields, disciplines, everything. Right. And it's funny you say that how do you put a narrative together for the book because your subjects are every genre, every discipline, okay. every field, right? Okay, so, so I am going to listen to an Eric podcast tonight. Okay. And do I just do the latest one or do I look through the list of right. 70 yeah. some people that you've done so far? Mm-hmm. And if I look mm-hmm. through them, then I hit on the description. Well, this person does something I'm not that interested in or this person mm-hmm. does something I am interested in. And you would say, oh, they're all interesting in some way. Understood. And some are better than others, but you don't, you don't rate them. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to rate them. I can't. <laughs> I can. You could, but I won't. <laughs> right. As soon as you flip off the switch, so, hey, check out this one. Right. So what I was what I was getting at is I kind of, in a weird way, feel what you're dealing with on a much smaller basis. But right. I feel that the the decision, but the the beauty of the creation of this little entity is the fact that I'm not pigeonholed into a certain discipline, a certain field, a certain area of interest. You know, it, it is open. But I'm guess what? To, your readers. They don't, or your readers, your your <laughs> listeners, they are not. They don't have their own podcast with all these people that they've interviewed. Right. They have not photographed all these people like I have. Right, right, right. And still, every day they are curating. They come home from work. What story am I going to share with my wife Got or it. my partner? Got it. What story am I going to share with my kids? Like, what's the one thing that happened today that I want to that I want to? Right. Even that I don't even understand that I want to understand better. Mm-hmm. Like we're all curating our lives every day. Got it. Or things happen all the time in the morning to me. And when I go to work, I share it with the people I work. Not everything that happened. Mm-hmm. I don't tell them I burnt the bacon, but I might tell them <laughs> that, you know, Asher said the craziest thing I've ever uh-huh. heard. And it's so awesome. Uh-huh. And, uh, or I might tell them that, what what the what the science teacher said about Jackson coming to him and saying how was your weekend and the right. science teacher just being amazed that no kids ever ask how they're right. doing right but so I might share something like that but we're all curating and I would even argue mm-hmm. that we all have boxes in our life that are similar to the box that I have for Francesca 
it didn't it's not someone that became famous mm-hmm. it's not something that we would ever think to share or want to share but we have my dad had these letters from a woman named honey sue sugar that they had exchanged when he was in the army uh-huh. and they were in these box these boxes downstairs hundreds of them wow wow and he never wanted to share them and never wanted us to read them and right. he destroyed them right but that was his box got it and my mom when she passed away there was this case that i opened up that had the most intense smell of vinegar i almost puked wow and it was full with film cans yeah that's right and her up. parents had not they weren't alive when i was born they okay. both died very young okay. and i'd never seen them move i'd never seen a film of them and I take these cans and I pack them in plastic and I take them to some place in Denver and I said if you can get anything off of these I'm sure you can't but if you can would you convert them to digital and I get this little thumb drive in the mail three weeks later and I put it in my computer and there are my grandparents moving it's amazing and holding my mother and my mother's fifth birthday party wow. in the backyard of the house that I live in now Wow, that was her box and we all have all this stuff mm-hmm. and it's awesome that I'm able to take these pictures and share them and show how we're all connected and it's awesome that you can do this podcast and say hey there's something about these people that I'm They're getting to They're talk compelling. to that I can share with you right and I have this right. gift of being able to have created this studio that mm. you can scream bloody murder <laughs> in and not wake up the neighbors pretty much and and <laughs> you, you know really good microphones and this all these cameras and everything. (laughs) Um, But that's your gift. But my argument would be that we all have these gifts and they happen in different ways. Mm -hmm. Whether it's showing someone, this is how you use a screwdriver. Or this is something that I felt. This is something that I saw. Mm -hmm. This is something that happened to me. This is something that I remember that you're sharing with people that you love or with the person that you're sitting next to at the Steeler game. It's all amazing. And yeah. and that's inside of all of us, and it just gets expressed and filtered different, but it's all really powerful. You see any dad with their kid mm. or mom, mm-hmm. you know, just seeing them makes me want to cry yeah. because there's so much uh-huh. that that we can share with each other, that, that the parent can share with the kid. And what did I say to Jackson this morning? Jackson has really beautiful fingers. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I said, take those beautiful fingers and hold something special today. Uh-huh. And he goes, Dad, where'd you come up with that? <laughs> <laughs> I love your philosophy on life, my friend. Well, thank you. I do. Thank I, you. I think it's, uh, and listening to you again gives me great reflection on my own life and my own way of going through my life and oftentimes realizing I'm missing so much because I'm just not. Slowing down a little bit, but really being aware of what's around me. I think that's probably good advice for most of us. It really is. I feel like the older we get, the longer we've been married, mm-hmm. the more experience we have, the freer we are. Mm-hmm. I feel like every, that all of our experiences free us to look deeper, to look in different places, to explore more, to try things that we never tried before. And, and I think this whole idea of slowing down, especially when I'm around Dwayne Michaels mm-hmm. in New York, mm-hmm. It's like, forget that. We aren't slowing down at all. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thanks. Let's do it again. Yeah. All right. Awesome. That was a good one. That was amazing. <laughs> it means so much to me. I cannot tell you how it means to me.